Good evening, church. Turn with me to Romans 8. I appreciate the, uh, the prayer and the songs this evening as we get started. I appreciate you coming back tonight. You knew that I was up, and you came back anyway. The, uh, you're a blessing to me tonight, and I have a deal for you. The, uh, I had a preacher friend way back when. I was, I was much younger. I don't know that he had ever heard me speak, but he gave me these words, and I try to think of them whenever I have a lesson to give. He said, Doug, don't ever forget, it's not hard at all to talk for an hour in front of folks. It's hard to say something worth saying in about 20 minutes. So you've come back to hear it. I'm going to do my best to deliver it. Let's see if, uh, let's see if we can put these two things together. Take a look back in your uh, mind's eye to the last uh, 12 months or so in your life. And you'll almost immediately go to the positive things, but I would like for you to think about the other things that happened. Maybe there was an illness in your family. Might have been a serious illness. And it happened right in the middle of life, and it was very interruptive to, uh, to what was going on at the time. Maybe there was a job change. Maybe there was just the risk of losing a good job. And all of a sudden, not according to your plan, uh, you had to change your career plans. Maybe you've had a significant argument with a lifelong friend, maybe, maybe even a brother or sister here at Northside. And the fellowship that you have built and shared and enjoyed through the years seems to have vanished in a heartbeat. Maybe you've made another serious mistake. You've been sitting in the Sedgwick County Jail for the last two months. And no one's come to see you. You're not sure where you're going to be next, but wherever it is, we'll be behind bars. See, we all have stories that can shake our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I love what Toby's doing on Sunday night with, uh, with the topic, the theme of unswerving faith. And, and we could go to that verse in Hebrews and, and look at it again. But... Toby's concentrated so far on New Testament examples of unswerving faith, and we're moving now to the Old Testament, and I want us to, to personalize that a little bit. I want us to look around at each other and realize that we are living those stories of unswerving faith right now, and we can be a blessing to each other as we as we endure the troubles of this life, as we hold to our faith, and as we go forward. So we're in Romans chapter 8, and this is uh, my uh, notion with Paul and the Holy Spirit. Four steps to keeping our unswerving faith. Step number one, we need to keep a Christian perspective. Take a look at Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present sufferings. Remember the audience that Paul was writing to. These people knew what present sufferings were. So did Peter's audience when he wrote to them. Step number one that I want us to think about is to keep a Christian perspective. Now, I chose that word carefully 
You're well aware that on Sunday mornings we divide ourselves up into life stages, and I, and I support that. I applaud that. But I don't want us to take a boomer's perspective of this life, and I don't want us to take a millennial's view of this life. By the way, I only have one thing against the millennials. Some of them are three times younger than I am. That's my only beef with them. And they're they're calculating. They've got their phones out, and they're calculating how old I must be. I want us to keep a Christian perspective. This is not a new battle. This is not a new battle. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's, uh, let's stray off the path a little bit and dance with a little uh, philosophical question of, of sorts. Is our God powerful enough to have created a life for us without trouble? Is our God powerful enough? Is he all-knowing enough to have made for us a problem-free life? I don't think there's anything in our imagination that our God could not do. So let's assume that, yes, he could have done it. So why didn't he do it? Because it would not have been in our best interest. Now, that's hard for us to get onto. It's hard for us to understand when the storm is raging all around us how anything that I mentioned or any of the stories that you can bring from your own history or those that you know and love, it's very difficult to acknowledge that in the throes of the storm. But our God created us in this way. And we know this is a broken world. Jesus told his apostles that they would have trouble in this life. Let me ask you something about uh, uh, your non-church friends and your church friends. When bad things happen, and bad things happen to almost everybody, when bad things happen, how do your non-church friends respond? How do your non-church friends respond with, with a medical diagnosis that, that's difficult? How do your non-church friends respond when they lose a job? Of course, you can see where I'm going with this. How do we respond when the news is bad? This Christian perspective may be the first opportunity that we will have to speak to non-Christians about our faith. When something doesn't go right, and you're talking about it at lunch, when something goes terribly wrong and folks are watching you because we know they watch us, They come up to you in one way or another, and they may say something like this. I know what's going on. How can you be this calm? I know what the doctor said, and yet your reaction is not what I would be reacting. Tell me what's different. It's an opportunity for us to share our faith. Our Christian perspective 
is tied to the fact that we read and believe passages like James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Those around us that don't have faith consider bad news something simply to be survived. It's not something that will bring anything good in their life. They hope to survive it. Many of them will not survive it because they don't have this faith. We know what James said to be so, that our faith will grow, our perseverance will grow because it can be produced by difficult times. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now listen to this next verse. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trouble that we have in this life, when it demonstrates our faith to people around us, brings glory to the name of God. One of the foundations of our Christian perspective. If we lose a job, if our teenager really, really struggles... If we become sick or we have to care for a family member that is sick, this Christian, is, this Christian outlook is something that other people should be able to see in us. They should be able to see the difference between us and them when we face our respective personal difficulties. Because I believe Romans 8, verses 18, verse 18 I'm going to keep this life in perspective. Step number two. Cole mentioned in his prayer that the Spirit would help us in our weakness. Let's take a look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and Paul repeats himself, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Have you ever started to pray and you can't think of the words to pray? Have you ever been so troubled, so distraught, so distressed, that literally the only thing that comes from you is the outpouring of emotion and, and a wordless yearning for God. God made us, he loves us, and he knows what that is like. His son had a night just like that. We might consider our prayer in that regard to be our garden prayer. Such distress, such pain, 
we plead with God time after time that this be taken away from us. But we never forget that Christ didn't ask for it to be taken away unqualified. He said each time, but your will be done. We can pray those prayers, and God's Spirit will help us. Take a look at Luke chapter 18, one of the most entertaining pictures that Jesus himself describes of his Father. We're going to talk about another aspect of our prayer life, especially in difficult times. Take a look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And we know the rest of the story. And frankly, the story doesn't paint the judge in a very positive positive light. But the story isn't about the judge. The story is about the widow. And the widow was persistent in her prayer. She was dogged in her prayer. Let's just say she was nagging the judge with her prayer. You ever thought about nagging God with your prayer? Those are words we don't normally put together. When we have difficult times, I think the Bible is clear that we can pray early, we can pray often, and we should pray continually for the things that we want Because the Spirit will intercede for us. Take a look at that part of the verse. It's a terrific blessing, and I'm not going to pretend that I understand it. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Because I believe Romans 8.26, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep praying, even when I don't have the words even when my pain is so great that I don't even know what I'm praying for, I'm going to persistently pray that God will help me out of the current situation. I'm not even going to worry too much about praying for the wrong thing. I remember that when I was a child growing up. There, there was a concern that, that we could pray uh, in error, that we could pray for something that would violate God's will. If my heart is pure... And if my motives are positive, I'm not going to worry about whether or not my prayer is in keeping with God's will. The word says that when I don't know what to pray for, God's Spirit will intercede on my behalf, and the prayer that gets to the Father will be in keeping with God's will. That's a beautiful gift. Step number three is found in one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Step number one was perspective. Step number two is prayer. Step number three is purpose. Romans 8, 28. We know it by heart, and we should know it by heart. We should live it by heart. And we know that in all things, God works 
for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Can we make that personal tonight? Can you do that? And I know that in all things God works for my good because I've been called according to his purpose. Make sure we understand the verse, because it's critically important, and it is often misquoted and abused and misused, and sometimes we're afraid of it. Let's take this quick five-point quiz. How confident are you in Romans 8, 28? We know. This is not a hope. This is a certainty. We know. How many things? All things. You ever noticed the, the all-in language of the Bible? And we think we know that in most things, God's going to work it out pretty well. That's not what it says. And we know that in all things, who's going to work at it? God is going to do the work. To who's good? To who's Good, your good and my good, if we love the Lord and if we're called according to his purpose. The fifth part of the quiz is to whose purpose. Tomorrow is going to be better than today. You believe that? Tomorrow, categorically speaking, is going to be better than today. If we accept God's definition of better, and if we let God define tomorrow. This morning I mentioned uh, Jeremiah 29 in the, in the prayer as we began our worship. Take a look at that. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but, but Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is well known and, and probably oft uh, misunderstood. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do you know who, uh, who, God told, who God said those words to? It was the Israelites. But it was not the Israelites as they crossed Jordan. It was not the Israelites as they came out of, out of Egypt. It was the exiled country of Israel, as they were being punished by God with 70 years of captivity. Take a look at the verses surrounding Jeremiah 29, 11, and God's instruction to the nation, to the unfaithful nation that he was allowing to be enslaved for 70 years. I want you to build, I want you to plant, I want you to grow. I will come to you. I know the plans I have for you. And if you look for me, I will find you. It's a beautiful blessing that, uh, that we live under. Step number four, as we wrap it up tonight. The fourth step in keeping our faith unswerving is found in Romans 8. 37. As we close tonight, I, I want to read verses 31 to 39. I want to read them slowly. 
I want you to listen carefully to what's being said. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Not the man who fired you, not the doctor who gave you a bad diagnosis, not the counselor who's trying to help you understand why your teenager can't seem to come around. If God is for us, who can be against us? He also, he who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go back just a second to verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, it's not hard for us to imagine what that, to understand what that verse does not say. We are not conquerors in our own right. We have that? We understand that. If you miss that one, you're going to have more trouble than, than the rest of us have. Because if you're standing on your own, I guarantee you, that you will fall. We are not conquerors in and of ourselves. Now, it's a curious phrase when Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know what's better than winning. I don't know what's better than first place. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That same preacher friend of mine that said uh, you should concentrate on saying something worthwhile in about 20 minutes also ended most of his servants with, so what? Where do we go from here? Just a review of, of, the, uh, of the points I've tried to bring to you. We are charged in this life with maintaining our unswerving faith. I want you to think about the prospect of keeping a Christian perspective when the news is bad from day to day. We're going to continue to pray with or without words. We're going to humble ourselves in prayer. We're going to, our, to align our will with God's will. And then we're going to pray that his will be done. See, if my will is lined up with God's, then my prayer to God that his will be done is always in my best interest. We're going to keep working hard for God's purpose. We understand today's facts, and we all have hopes and dreams for tomorrow. We're going to have faith that God will work it all out for our good to his purpose. Then we're going to watch his will unfold in our lives and glorify his name. My challenge to you tonight 
is that through the rest of the year, we're going to study biblical examples of of unswerving faith. I would propose to you that each of us is doing our dead-level best today in good, in good times and bad to give each other example after example of unswerving faith in this life. May God bless us to that task. If you have a need of this congregation this evening, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing.